we have been in Revelation for several months now. In Revelation 15 today, we're going to find that angels are about to pour out the last of God's wrath on the world at the end of a seven-year tribulation called the Great Tribulation. Uh, the world is poised to drink from the wine of God's wine press, the uh, wine press of God's wrath. Uh, upon the rapture of the church, God starts pouring out judgment on humanity. He begins to pour out judgment on creation. We've seen the seals and the trumpets. And if you've never heard the gospel before the rapture, you will be able to be saved after the rapture. But if you have told Jesus no before the rapture and you have rejected his offer of grace before the rapture, uh, many people speculate that that time of grace will be over and you won't be able to say yes after the rapture happens um, if, you've told, if you've rejected him before the rapture. Um, now you might be saying, well, Brother Mike, that's not fair. Well, the truth is, if it was fair, none of us are going to heaven, okay? Uh, that's fair. So let's, uh, let's be careful how we, we, we use that. Uh, people will say, well, God is love, Brother Mike. Surely he wouldn't uh, he wouldn't turn people away. And God is love, but y'all, God is a possessor of a holy love. His love is not based upon sentimentality. It's not based on emotions. It's not based upon feelings. It's based upon his character. Now, God is love, but it's a holy love, which means that he cannot tolerate, he cannot wink at sin for forever. He has to deal with it. When the great tribulation happens, what happens is sin's debt is called due. Sin's debt is called due. And the church is removed and God just begins to release judgment on the world that has rebuffed him, that have rejected him. In, in chapter 5, we watched as the Ancient of Days was, gave a seven-sealed scroll to, the, to, uh, to his son. That was year one of the Great Tribulation. In chapter 6, we watched the events accompany the breaking of six of the seals. In chapter 7, we watched God seal 144,000 Jewish evangelists. Uh, before his throne. In chapter 8, we watch the breaking of the seventh seal. Now that seventh seal came the trumpet judgments. And we have seen that in the last several weeks. In chapters 9 and 10, two more angels sound their trumpets and another cried, Time is drawing near. And in chapter 11, the seventh trumpet there in 11.15 announces that it's all about to come down. In the interlude chapters between chapters 12 and 15, Six different end-time personalities are revealed. We've seen the revelation of Jesus, Israel, the dragon, the Antichrist, the false prophet, uh, Michael. And in, when we get to chapter 17, I believe we're going to see the, the great prostitute. We're going to see her. She's another figure that we're going to look at. In, the, in those interlude chapters, we, we've, we've come across those. And it's likely the... Trumpet, um, it's likely that the bold judgments that we're about to see uh, in chapter 15 and following, these probably take place, I did the math for you on this, uh, there's 364 weeks in, a seven, in seven years. 364 weeks in a seven-year period. It's likely that the bold, the bold judgments that we're about to open up, they probably happen at about week 360. It's in like the last month of the tribulation. This is, this is, man, this is where the rubber meets the road. Things are going to pick up 
pace very quickly here in uh, chapter 15 and following. Chapter 15 tells how the bowls are emptied up. Chapter 15 kind of tells us that uh, in that great tribulation, as God is about to pour out that final judgment, they're in bowls. You've never seen somebody come to your table at Reed's with a five-gallon bucket to fill your glass. It's always a pitcher because it controls it. Well, these, these bowl judgments are going to be poured out all at one time. It's like a five-gallon bucket. It's not a pitcher. It's not a slow release. I mean, these buckets of judgments are just rolled out on humanity all at one time. So this is not a pretty thing whatsoever that we're, that we're getting ready to see. Uh, when that last drop of judgment drops out of that last bowl, what we're going to see is that Jesus returns. The rapture is not the second return. It's not the second coming of Jesus. Right, at the, right as Armageddon is kicking off is the second coming of Jesus at the end of the seven-year tribulation. As these bowls are poured out, the, the conclusion, Jesus shows up, draws an end to the bloodiest battle that humanity has ever seen at Armageddon. Uh, the Antichrist is removed. And by the way, I'm going to get into all that as we get down there. I'm just kind of giving you a sneak peek. Uh, the Antichrist is removed. The false prophet is removed. The devil is thrown into the abyss, the bottomless pit for a thousand years. And Jesus reigns for a thousand years. Now, unless the rapture happens between now and Easter, I will preach all that starting in April. Uh, today, we're kind of at that last chapter before all heaven breaks loose. And Brother Don and Darty said in the, the announcements, next week, Miss Pam and I will be doing the first time we've ever done a teaching together uh, we're going to be doing two of us, seven decisions that saved our marriage. Uh, and basically what we're going to do next week is that Pam and I are going to tell you seven things that we absolutely know to be true about marriage that not everybody's going to agree with, but they have worked for us. So that's what we're going to teach on next week. And if I can get the band to learn it, we're going to run through uh, the Beatles, two of us, off the Let It Be album. But uh, we'll see how that goes. But uh, anytime I can sneak McCartney and Lennon in on church, I'll probably do that. Um, heaven is going to go into beast mode here in Revelation 15. It is going to go into beast mode. And if you go into beast mode, you have a, you have a beast mode track list. A playlist, and this is exactly what happens in Revelation 15. Let's look at the, uh, the, the, uh, the playlist for heaven as all heaven breaks loose. Church, I'm going to ask if you would to read the dark print, and I'll lead, the, I'll lead with the light print in Revelation chapter 15. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues. Last because with them God's wrath is completed, church. And song the song and sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and then the second track they sang was the song of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty, just and true are your ways, King of the ages, church. After this, I looked in heaven, the temple that is the tabernacle of the testimony, well, it was open. Out of 
Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. I want to look at the identity of the people at the Sea of Glass, and I want to look at the Sea of Glass. Um, probably this whole Sea of Glass is not a sea like you and I would typically uh, be familiar with. The Sea of Glass uh, is probably more of a translucent, a translucent crystal platform that the throne of God is on uh, because this, this thing has been seen before. This isn't the first time that we're being introduced to this. In fact, the Bible tells us in Revelation 4, 6, this same thing is described as this. And before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass. Not a literal sea of glass, but it looked like a sea of glass. Well, Moses saw this same uh, scene, and this is the way he described it. Moses described in Exodus 24.10, it's a pavement of sapphire. You know, just, just as clear as it can be, just as clear as the sky itself. Uh, I believe that uh, Ezekiel saw this same thing. And it wasn't a literal sea, but more of that translucent. Have you ever seen that thing on TV where they, they have that plexiglass bridge or that walkway, and they step out into the... Uh, the uh, the Grand Canyon and they're stepping on plexiglass, All right? And then immediately you change your pants as soon as you get off of it. You know, I, I think that that's the way that thing might look. I really do. Uh, you step out and it's like I, I don't know what I'm walking on. I just know that it's cool and it's terrifying. I got a feeling that's the way it is because Isaiah, I'm sorry, Ezekiel says it was something like an expanse, like the awesome gleam of crystal. So this is where they're standing, and it's just this beautiful stage, this beautiful platform where the throne of God is, and these are the folks who are, they're kind of up on the stage back in the day, uh, dance, uh, Dancing in the Dark, when Springsteen put that out. I remember watching that Friday night video, and I'm thinking, well, that's really cool. That chick gets to go up on stage with Mr. Springsteen. That was Courtney Cox. I think in kind of in a weird way, I think God asked these people onto the stage with him. Because they are literally on the platform where his throne is at. Well, who are these people? Man, that's a pretty good deal. You get pulled up on stage with Springsteen or God. You've had a good day. Who are these people? To me, this is the interesting part. These are the ones who did not love their lives. Uh, this is the ones who did not love their lives more than living. They love God more than breathing. They love Jesus more than existing on this plane they love God more than anything and they were not willing to compromise their faith they were not willing to compromise their convictions they stayed the course they didn't they did not allow themselves to get involved in the antichrist end time religious system commerce system uh, governmental system these are the people who kept themselves pure they didn't get the mark of the beast uh, they were hunted they were persecuted if you were caught you were either thrown in prison or you got your head cut off these are the people who went through the entire tribute they did not bow to the beast, the Antichrist. They were saved. They were one hundred. They were one hundred and ten percent dependent upon the Lord for their shelter, for their food, for their water, for their health care, because they weren't getting it from anywhere else. These are the people who, during the Great Tribulation, they counted on God for literally everything. To me, it's sort of like the reimagining of the story of the three Hebrew children: Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the Book of Daniel. They get thrown into that fiery furnace by Nebuchadnezzar, and it was, it was, it was cranked up hotter seven times hotter than it had ever been before. They, threw, they were thrown into the fiery furnace, and the flames did not consume them. 
And there was another in the fire with them, a pre-incarnation of Jesus Christ. To me, this is an, a re-imag- to me, Revelation 15 is a reimagining of that story. But instead of, the three Hebrew ch- but instead of the three Hebrew children being thrown into the furnace and the flames didn't consume them, this time the flames consumed them. This time they didn't make it out. This time, this time didn't turn out the way the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. This is a story of how the fire did not go out. Imagine how it would have been, imagine how it will be going through the great tribulation as somebody who gave your life to Jesus after the rapture. You see that president over the Ukraine right now. The world is on his side. They're rooting for him, but there's somebody very evil looking for him. Can you imagine not putting your head down twice in a row in the same spot? Can you imagine being that little man being hunted in his own country? If they found him, they're going to kill him. If they don't kill him, they'll put him in jail. Church, I believe that when the tribulation comes, that the Christians who give their life to Jesus after the rapture and they're left here to go through the tribulation, I don't think they'll be able to put their head on the same place twice in the same time. Uh, twice in a row. I don't think they're going to be able to, to do anything but hunt and gather very much because they can't buy anything. Everything has to be given to them by God. They're constantly always looking over their shoulder to see who's coming to get them. Y'all, this will be lean and hard times for the born-again person during the Great Tribulation. If you're captured, you're either imprisoned or beheaded for refusing to bow to another other than God. Y'all, it's a bad time. They come out of the tribulation victorious because of their faith in Jesus. They come out of the tribulation more than conquerors because of Jesus. Y'all, it reminds me of a scene that comes straight out of the book of Exodus. The nation of Israel had been freed from the cruel treatment of Pharaoh. They had been released from the bondage that Pharaoh had over them. Do you remember when they got... Do you remember that... The reason that the death angel passed over the Israelites house during that great 10th plague, the reason, do you know, do you remember what saved the Israelites during that great last trip, uh, that great last plague in the book of Exodus? They had to put the blood over the door facing, you remember that? They put the blood over the door facing and the death angel would go over the house and that house would be protected. That house would be sheltered. That house would be safe because of the blood of the Lamb. Church, the nation of Israel overcame Pharaoh and his reign the same way the saints in the tribulation will overcome the Antichrist and his regime. They all overcome by the blood of the Lamb. Because the blood has been applied and they stand before God in worship. If you look in their hand, what kind of instrument are they playing? I'd hate to hear most of us plunk around on a harp. I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, and when they give them this harp, y'all don't think of it, oh, when we get to heaven, here it is, my wings and my harp. Y'all, the harp is not meant for that, okay? The harp, I want you to understand, it's an instrument of worship. Don't focus on the instrument. Focus on the end game here. They are standing before God and they're worshiping. They are standing before God and they are giving Him praise. They're standing before God and they're exalting Him. And they're singing two songs. Verse 3 says, They sang the song of Moses and the servant of God, the servant of God and the song of the Lamb. Church, remember what I told you about the, Israeli, the Israelites leaving Pharaoh? God gave them a song as soon as they got out. 
God gave Moses a song. In fact, Exodus 15, verse 12 and 13. The song of Moses that God gave Moses when the Israelites were let free from the bondage of Pharaoh. God gave them this song. And this song really has two main parts to it. It talks about how God blesses those who bless Him. And it talks about how God takes care of those who are on the Lord's side. And then the other side of the song talks about how God breaks bad on those who go after God's people and for those who go against God's kingdom. This is what the Bible says in Exodus chapter 15, talking about the victory of God's people. God, you stretched out your hand and the earth swallowed them, the enemy. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them, us, into your holy dwelling. Well, that's the blessing for God's people in Moses' song. All the stuff you brought us through and now we're victorious. But that same song has a negative effect for the enemies of God. At the same time, the judgment and the wrath of God's enemies, Exodus 15, 3 and 6, same chapter. The Lord is a warrior. Yes, Jehovah is His name. He has overthrown Pharaoh's chariots and armies, drowning them in the sea. The famous Egyptian captains are dead beneath the waves. The water covers them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, is glorious in power. It dashes the enemy to pieces. This is the song of Moses. You brought us out of the of the, of the hell that we were in, and you punish the enemy. The great tribulation saints are standing before God singing an Old Testament song. You've overcome our enemy, and we stand before you redeemed. That's the whole thing about the song of Moses. It's a throwback. It's an oldie going all the way back to the Red Sea. It's an oldie going back to previous deliverance. It is a song that is a staple in the Jewish hymn book. When His people come home, they always sing Exodus 15. When they come back to the temple after 578, after they've been taken captivity in Babylon, the first song they sing when they get back into the temple is Exodus 15. Anytime the people come back to the land, Exodus 15 is a song that rolls out of their mouth. Isaiah prophet. Uh, prophesied that Moses' song would be sung when God's people came back to Jerusalem in Isaiah 11, 12. And that's exactly what they did. God brings these people out of the tribulation. And now they stand before God in worship. They stand before God in victory. They stand before God in safety and security. They stand before God and they say, look at what you've brought us through. They sing a song to Him. That's a beautiful idea, that song of Moses. But I want to look at track number two. So that's my song. That's my song. That's my jam. The song of the Lamb. You see, we have a merging of the law and grace. We have this beautiful mashup going on. Track number two, Revelation 15. They sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Apparently, it's possible to live in a satanic world and still not be of it. Mike, where'd you get that? These singers in front of God's throne on this translucent stage, they had just spent seven years in a world system where the world worshipped the devil. The world was getting the mark of the beast or you couldn't buy bread or milk or eggs. They just came out of the world that worshipped the devil. They came out of the world where sex was glorified and was used as a way to entice people to come into the religious system. These are people who, who went through seven years of hell and somehow they still kept their Christian conviction. They went through seven years of the world saying, you guys are crazy. You're nuts. If you don't give up on that, we're going to kill you. 
They went through that whole hell, and they, did, they wound up on the other side singing in front of the throne of God. I don't know about you. I want to know how they did that. Because we're living at a time right now where the world hates us Christians. They hate Jesus. They hate the cross. They, make, they hate the message of the gospel. They hate the idea that there's only one way to heaven. There's only one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus. The world hates that. And church, we ain't seen nothing yet. We haven't seen anything yet. What... What our brothers and sisters will go through in the tribulation is nothing compared to what's going on right, right now. But I'm going to tell you what. What I hear is the devil's band warming up. That's the situation we see ourselves in now. The plan is out. The platform is being built. And just as the blood of the Lamb saved His people in Egypt, it's the blood of the Lamb that saved the great tribulation saints. But church, it's the blood of the Lamb that saved you and me too. The blood has never lost its power. The blood will never lose its power. And church, the way we overcome the world, the way we gain victory over the mark of the beast is by the blood of the Lamb. I love, I, it didn't ever dawn on me. You've got the mark of the beast and you've got the blood of the Lamb. And the blood of the Lamb always marks out the beast. You don't got to wait till Revelation 15 for that to happen. You can live in that right now. That's your victory. The moment you start following Jesus, your victory over sin is yours. It's done. The moment you start following Jesus, your victory over hell is done. It's yours. The moment you start following Jesus, the victory is yours. You have it. It's it belongs to you, church. Jesus' shed blood on Calvary is how we become free from Satan now. Free to overcome now. Free to be victorious now. And the moment you start following, the victory is yours. You see, the blood cancels all the sin penalty. The blood cancels the debt that sin owed. Revelation 1.5 And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us. And he has done what? King Jim says it like this. He has washed us from our sins by His church. If you want to know if you're... Oh, I'm going to make some of you mad here, but I want you to know it made me mad too. I don't like what I'm about to say. If you want to know if your sin has been canceled... And by the way, this is a thus says Mike. This is not a thus says the Lord, but this is what Mike... This is what was in Mike's heart this week. If I want to know if my sin debt has been canceled, then God said, okay, look around your life. Is there less sin? My sin's been canceled by the blood of Jesus. Ain't no doubt about that. I accept that by faith. But you know what? If my sin's been canceled, then there probably should be less sin in my life. Does that make sense to anybody? You don't like it, neither do I. But that just makes sense. There should literally be less sin in my life, less compromise in my life. Why? Because if I have let Jesus, if I have allowed Jesus, if I have given my sin to Jesus and He's removed them, then there literally should be less in my life. If not, then something's messed up and I've got a feeling it's not on His part. Listen to all the amens, Miss Pam. The, sing <coughs> the singers now, they were hunted here. They had to trust 100% on God to live day to day. If they compromised in the tribulation, if they made concessions during the tribulation, 
what would have they have looked like? Well, they would have taken the mark. So they could buy. So they could sell. If you want to know what kind of compromise or concessions they could have made, they could have worshipped the Antichrist and turned their back on God. They could have worshipped the devil instead of worshipping God, which by the way was outlawed. Today we are living in a world that is increasingly anti-Christian. But nobody's threatened to cut off my head. We've seen it. It happens. It's not like this is fairy tale stuff. When you think about the compromises that they could make in the Great Tribulation that could have saved their lives, I'm thinking, gum, I make compromises every day. Ain't nobody threatening to take off my head. I make compromises for my convictions every single day, but I'm not being threatened at the risk of death. Mike, what do you mean by that? Mm, websites. Maybe a flirtatious word. Maybe a text. Maybe a post. Maybe a thought. Maybe a, a, a hurtful word or a hateful word or something we should have done and we didn't do. I, I compromise my convictions all the time. But not because somebody's threatening to kill me church you see as a follower of the lamb i signed up for obedience to jesus until i die now loving him more than living is exactly what the great tribulation saints did and it's exactly what i want to do but i got a feeling that the tribulation saints are going to take their walk with jesus a whole lot more serious than i do They've got people cutting their heads off over there. If they're not getting executed, then they're getting put in the jail and the key thrown away. And they never made a, they never backed down off their convictions. They never backed down. They never compromised. You see, without a doubt, the tribulation saints take their discipleship and following Jesus more seriously than most of us do. Hey, you may not like this, but would you agree with me on that? You with me? Okay. You see, when I get off track spiritually, when I drop the obedience ball, I feel bad because I know I didn't live my life the way I should. I know I didn't make my Jesus happy. I know I didn't, I didn't practice the spiritual discipline I should have. I know I do that, that gum every day. And I feel bad about it. I get off track spiritually and I just feel bad about it. I'm on, here's a, we were going to do this tonight with a 10-second testimony, but I'm just going to tell you what happened uh, I was out at the bug house on Monday, and a buddy of mine, Shane, was talking to him about his mama. Uh, and I, I, I ain't kidding you. As God is my witness, God, God, God just whispered in my, my heart and said, you need to go see that woman. Go see her tonight after work. I didn't want to go to see her after work, so I talked myself out of it. I didn't go see her. I was tired. I wanted to go home, eat supper. Shane comes back in on Thursday. This time he asks me to go see tomorrow. Go Friday. Okay, this was Thursday. Go see you Friday. Miss Pam took me to work that day because it was icy and snowy. People made fun of me. And guess what? I didn't even care. I didn't care. I got dropped off like a door, like a king. Make fun of me all you want. 
Anyway, I get there Thursday. He tells me all that, and Miss Pam picks me up Thursday evening. I said, babe, you've got to take me to the hospital. I've got to go see. I've got to go see Betty. I said, I should have done it. I'm going to tell you what, man. I go in there, and I come out. Miss Pam could tell you. I ain't telling you this to brag. Remember, I told you I screwed up Monday. Don't forget that. I missed it Monday. I come out Thursday from Miss Pam's out there in the parking lot waiting on me. I come out. I'm crying like a little girl, Miss Schaefer. I'm crying. And all I saw was this beautiful little old lady. But when I'm in that room, it's literally like when I walked in the room, it's almost as if I heard Jesus say, I'm glad you finally got here. Thank you for listening. And for about 20 minutes, Miss Schaefer, I got to be Jesus. I got to be his hands, and I got to be his feet, and I got to be his tears. She don't go to church here. She doesn't go to church here. In fact, her pastor, she said, our church doesn't have a pastor. But we're connected to the family. They don't have to be a member here for this church to be connected to the family. By the way, if you want to know what a biblical definition of a church is, baby, there it is. Mike, why'd you tell us that story? Because this God tells us things all the time and we'll talk ourselves out of it. We'll release our conviction. We'll release our uh, we'll release what we hold on to as, as fact and, and we just let it go. But church, that's not the end of the story. Get back up on the horse and be obedient. I got off track Monday because I wanted to go home. What gets you off track? What happens if you get a better offer for a weekend on the weekend? What happens if we get a better offer for the weekend? We miss church. And this is what we tell ourselves. Oh, nobody's going to notice if I'm gone a week or two. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. You get unfaithful or sporadic with your giving. And hey, listen to me, church. There's going to come a time here where this giving is going to get, it's going to get slim. But you get unfaithful as Barack with your giving. You're thinking, oh, everybody, nobody's going to know. Yeah, they do. You know, whether we give or not, ministry still has to be done here. So, yeah, it's important. But we, we begin to compromise on our attendance. We begin to compromise on our convictions you stop reading your Bible, you stop praying, you stop serving, you get out of pray and go, you don't come to a connect group. What's the worst that can happen, preach? Church of people, guys, if you don't come to church, this church doesn't exist. That's the brass tacks. That's the short and skinny of it. And what happens in churches right now is the people who used to come three out of four Sundays or four out of four Sundays, they're now back to two a month. And if you were only coming a Sunday a month before COVID, you didn't come back. The people who were on the fringe didn't come back at all. Church, we're in a tough time and we're getting ready to go into a tougher time. If there's ever been a time for us to stay by our convictions, it's now. They go through hell in the great tribulation and they don't compromise. Oh, Mike does. 
You see, I realized this week, I don't need the devil to threaten me at fear of death for disobeying my Jesus. I'm doing just fine on my own. I don't need His help. I am proud of that. But I also understand the reality of it. You see, church, after the rapture, if a person stands at odds with a satanic trinity by boldly identifying Jesus as their Savior, they risk death or imprisonment or torture after the rapture. And somehow or another, these people stayed true. I want to know how they did it. Church, what got me the most about this whole scene in Revelation, I'm, it ain't what's there, it's what isn't there. What do you think about the hell those folks went through during those seven-year time, uh, seven time period? Because you see, when I get to heaven, uh, I've always thought, uh, there's a whole lot of things I want to ask God about. You ever thought about that? You know, God, why did you? You know, God, uh, and maybe some of those questions in our group might say, God, why did you let my marriage blow up? God, why did you, you let that happen to me? Why did you let my, my relationship with my kids go in the ditch? Why did you, why did you let me lose my job? But why did you let... Uh, why did you let that happen? Why did you let me have cancer? Why did you let me lose my child? Why did you take my husband from me so soon? And we have these things. You know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God why. What I told you about chapter 15, it's not about what's there. It's about what's missing. In the text... These are people standing before God. These are the tribulation saints. They're standing before God for all of His works and for all of His ways. And church, the world can't praise God like that because they refuse to understand God's ways. If I would have been one of those people, I probably would have said, Hey, dude, why'd you let me get my head cut off? What's up with that? Why did you let my family be persecuted like that? Why did you let my wife and kids go through all that? And they're the same questions that I would want to ask God too. You know, I've got this list. I've got this, this, this legal pad of questions I want to ask God when I get there. But when I look at the text, not one of them asked him why. And if anybody would have had a, you know, a reason to say why to God, I'd say the dude standing there with his head freshly cut off. Dude, what were you thinking? Why didn't you step in? Why'd you let that happen? Here's what's missing from chapter 15. Not one person complained about the way God permitted them to suffer or God allowed them to suffer. Can you imagine the sorrow and the anxiety and the worry that we'd save ourselves if we really believed that God's words and God's works and God had a plan and all of them were good? Can you imagine how different our life would be if we truly believed if we truly believed that God knew what he was doing? They trusted him regardless of what they went through. Those tribulation saints trusted God no matter what kind of hell they endured. They believed that he was in control. They believed he was calling the shots because they believed he was sovereign. Church, the truth is, I say I trust God, but sometimes I struggle with the reality of actually trusting him. I say the words, but if you would look at my heart, sometimes they're just stinking words because I doubt. I worry. Sometimes I question his actions. I doubt his wisdom. 
God, don't you care when stuff happens? How could you do that to me? How could you let this happen? So, man, I don't know about you, but I've got some whys I wouldn't mind asking God. I'm going to give you a couple of statements about true or false. And by the way, church, the only reason I'm giving you all this is because I want you to know that I'm not preaching at you. I'm sharing with you. Don't have all this stuff ironed out. I'm working on it just like you. I'm inviting you to work on it with me. True or false? The Lord is righteous in all of his ways and loving toward all he has made. True or false? True or false? All right, Isaiah. True or false? For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord, that the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Is that true or false? Okay. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Is that true or false? All right. If these are true, then why do we question God so often and complain about his ways? Because we don't like it. We're human. Not our plan. Oh, straight. It's not our plan. We say we trust God and we believe that His Word is true, but yet when it gets down to the end, do we really? Do we really think He knows what He's doing? Do we, do we really think that, that He's on top of the ball? Do we think that, that He has it all planned? Tribulation saints live with the wisdom of Job. By the way, Job lost everything and somehow he still made it. And I can tell you exactly why he made it. The Bible says in Job 121, uh, the Lord gave me everything I had and they were his to take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. King Jimmy puts it like this. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hey church, we might lose everything. <laughs> Let me retract that. We're going to lose everything earth made. We don't take nothing with us but our soul. They prove their love to God, their obedience by God, their discipleship to God, their dedication to God, the salvation by their lives and in their lives. Church, if you have a list of whys to ask God when you get there, this is what we're basically doing. We're admitting that we have doubts about God's sovereignty. I don't like that phrase any more than you do. We doubt his decisions, we doubt his ways, his purposes, his plans, his promises. Church, I want to live my life, good, bad, joy, sorrow, health, sickness, wealth, poverty, it doesn't matter. Whatever I'm in, I just want to be able to trust God the way those tribulation saints will. No matter what comes, Lord, I'm going to trust you. No matter what happens to happen to me, I'm going to trust you. No matter what the threat may be, I'm going to trust you. No matter what the persecution may be, I'm going to trust you. Church, that's the way I want to live my life. I may not understand it all, but Lord, but I understand you love me. Church, I want to live my life that way. Don't complain about it when things don't go the way you want or the way I want, Mike. I want to embrace by faith that God is on the throne, that God is in control. Even when I think I doubt him or fear him or hurt or worried, I'm just going to believe he's on the throne and, and in control. Don't have to understand it. I just embrace it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a German Lutheran pastor. He was very anti-Nazi, uh, an anti-Nazi dissident. He was a theologian, uh, one of the greatest authors ever. If you ever get a chance to read his book, The Cost of Discipleship, it's a modern classic. Uh, there was a guard there. He was put into a, a concentration camp by the Germans, by the Germans, and there was a guard there, a sympathetic guard, and and uh, Bonhoeffer would give him his notes. And that guard 
would take it out, take them out. And there was a, a book written from his prison writings that was published uh, posthumously. That's one of the best books ever written about uh, the theology of, of what we're dealing with today. Uh, Bonhoeffer was accused of being associated with the plot on July 20th of 1943 to, to kill Hitler. They took him out to uh, the gallows and they killed him. This is one of the quotes that he gave. And I want you to understand, this was a man who was in prison because he stood up for other people. This was a man of God who, who was in a concentration camp by the Germans for simply, by, for simply being the man of God that he was. This is what he said, instead of, instead of trusting the unseen God, we prefer the tangible fruits of desire. And this next sentence freaked me out. However, no sacrifice is too great if it enables us to conquer a lust which cuts us off from Christ. What Bonhoeffer was saying was this, no sacrifice is too big for us to make if it brings us closer to Jesus. The sacrifice of our head, the sacrifice of our freedom, the sacrifice of whatever. Bonhoeffer was saying, there's no sacrifice if it's going to bring us closer to Jesus. Nothing is too great. Church, Bonhoeffer never got to experience the tangible fruit of desire because he died in the Holocaust. But when he died, he died still trusting in the unseen. Church, if we really believe that God knows what He's doing, we can stop asking why, we can stop complaining, and we can start living our life by faith and not by sight. Some of us have a list of complaints and a list of questions, a list of whys we want to ask God when we get there. But church, if what I'm saying today is absolutely true, if we believe God's good, and we believe that He's good God Almighty, and we believe that He's sovereign, how in the world can we ask God anything? Why did you do this? How can we question His love? How can we question His wisdom if He is sovereign and God and in control of all things? What am I doing questioning Him? He doesn't owe me anything. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. If we believe that God's good, then how can we complain? If we believe that He's in control, how can we complain? Now church, we can't do any of this perfectly. We can't do any of this and always get 10 out of 10. It just doesn't happen. I wish it did, but it doesn't. We can't do it perfectly, but for many of us, we can do it better than what we're doing right now. I want you to begin to ask yourself, what whys can I let go of today? Oh, Mike, what do you mean by that? You've got that list of whys you want to ask God, and you've been holding it over His head. You know, God, I'd, I'd love you more, but first you're going to have to tell me why my wife left me. God, I'm going to serve, but... First, you've got to tell me why my husband left. Or, or God, I'm going to do something, but, but first, you've got to let me know why that happened to me when I was a little girl. Or, God, I'm going to do something, but you've got to tell me why you let that happen to me when I was a teenager. Don't let your whys get in the way of worship. Don't let your whys get into the way of growth. Don't let your whys get into the ways into the way of where Jesus wants to take you.
bowed and every eyes closed. I want you to begin to think about the wise. God, why did you let my my spouse or my husband die? Why did you let my child move? Why did you let cancer come into our family? Why did you let Alzheimer's come into our family? I want you to think about all those whys. And this morning, I'm going to ask you to give those whys to God. Say, God, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop holding these. I'm just going to start living by faith. In church, what I'm going to ask you to do is your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. Would you simply stand to your feet with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? Would you simply stand to your feet with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? Today, I want you to think about the whys you have. For some of you, those whys have been stopping you from living into a deeper faith, a deeper commitment to God. Because you'd love him more, but you got questions. You'd love him more, but, but you have concerns. You'd love him more, but H, he doesn't owe us anything. He's already given us more than what we deserve on Calvary. He's already showed us that he's loved us. He's already shown us that he loves us. This morning, if you need to take some whys off your list, and the sooner you get those off your list, the more, the closer you're going to get to God, the more... You want to enjoy your relationship with him. Lord God, I just pray that as we open up this invitation, and Father, as we sing you praise and we will give you worship, I pray that you would move and stir our hearts to you. The Lord God, today, some of those whys, the why questions that we've been asking, that we would just bring those under the blood of Jesus and we leave them there. Lord God, I pray that we would just trust you with everything. We would trust you with it all. And Lord, may the only why we have in our heart is why do you love us so much? And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.